1: is a special day for many reasons. The first one being, this is the first weekday of the season where there wasn't a game yesterday and there's not a game tomorrow, which to you listening might not mean much, but to me making content is fantastic. I can breathe for like two seconds. So there's a lot to get to today. I want to talk about Karis LeVert and his return and how he's looked since coming back just over a week ago. Miles Turner's continued rise talked a little about that yesterday tj warren we got return news from him from rick carlisle last week didn't even talk about that yet some other general pacers topics and the other reason today's show is a special show is because joining me to talk about these things from pacers.com mr brendan Rourke himself brendan how's it going man
0: oh you know i'm hanging in there just like everybody else so we'll get through this huh (laughs) (laughs) making it happen writing pacers surviving getting to the mm-hmm. next day we're all doing the same thing around here right for sure enjoying that day off as well that <laughs> that's a nice breath of fresh air after the first 11 games. very few so. people can under
1: especially after last season very few people can understand how much two days between games oh means.
0: yes <laughs> oh my gosh it's unbelievable last season was last
1: season was just <laughs> chaos i mean game every other day game back to back and the pace are still this year i think they've played the most games in the season at 13 so far uh yep. or, to, or excuse me 11 or tied for the most in league at 11. So beyond their schedule being ridiculous, it's been really rapid fire. Um, But let's start with Karis Levert. I sent Brandon some topics today and Levert's at the top of my list for several reasons, because we kind of have a a only five games, not like solid, but we finally have a good little cluster of games with him under Rick Carlisle with various guys on the roster to kind of assess how he's looked this season. And last night was his highest scoring output, or excuse me, for you guys two nights ago of the season against Sacramento with 22 points, but it took him 22 shots to do it. He's really ramping up the shot count every game as his minutes go up. Uh, So, Brandon, I'll start just throw it to you with the very
0: broad question. How do you feel like LeVert's doing since he's come back? Well, I think we're seeing basically what any of us would think of as normal. I mean, slowly getting back into rhythm after missing, I mean, training camp and missing the whole idea of trying to, build that chemistry with the team and you have to sit on the sidelines we're seeing him slowly get back to play I mean if you look at uh, his shots I mean they've increased every game so far so he's fine trying to find that rhythm and trying to get his footing I mean even he said it after the Sacramento game he still believes he's not 100 percent. so as you know fans have to trust him that he's not there yet but he's trying so you know, that's always a hard thing to grapple with I think that was your question that he answered that from when
1: he said you know, not only am I, I didn't have camp, but I'm also not like fully in game shape. yet, right. And that's like, it's hard to understand that when you're watching a guy play a full minutes load. It's like, even if he's playing that much, he might be winded more often than normal. Or he might not be able to do all the things he's normally able to do, which makes it a little harder to assess how he's done. But I generally agree with you that I think it's kind of actually, but interesting that at first I thought he was rapidly connecting with teammates, but his role's kind of, toggled between games because i remember at media day he talked about how he was psyched to have a training camp because he didn't have that last year so you can finally connect with this team and really get chemistry with these guys and then he only kind of had a training camp you know he, he was at every practice but didn't practice didn't do five on five three on three whatever so right away you know second game seven assists then five then six i was thinking like wow he's connecting really well with these guys but at the same time it kind of feels like and some of this is time tied to brogdon being in and out that as, he, as he's ramped up in activity, he's gone more from Carlisle asking him to be a setup man to him just being a scorer, it feels like, especially in the Sacramento game. So I'm curious how his role will be going forward and how he's kind of viewed because I think he's really valuable to this team in his way of being a creator. And that's why I'm really looking forward to his next five games as he continues to build that chemistry with this unit on how he can be a setup man for the rest of the Pacers.
0: For sure. I mean, I think you do see that in the Sacramento game. I think, I mean, Carlisle saw he only had six points at halftime, and he said basically, "Look, the third quarter is going to be almost all yours." He took, I mean, I think it was ten shots in the third quarter, which is two fewer than the other seven players combined <laughs> in the third quarter. I mean, Carlisle <laughs> gave him the reins. Wow. You don't really, you don't really see that um, from a Carlisle offense. Um, you always want to see like paint touches and then kick him back out and things like that. But um, Carlisle called Karras' number, and I mean, he delivered in that third quarter, especially. I
1: think that's that's becoming a trend, because guess who led the Pacers in shots in the third quarter against the Knicks? You'll never guess. Was it Karras? It was <laughs> Karras LeVert. Guess who, yeah. uh, guess who led the Pacers in shots in the third quarter against the Portland Trail Blazers? Who cares? <laughs> it was, in fact, Karras LeVert. So maybe this is a thing where... They come out in the second half and try to kind of get him going. And in those two games, coincidentally, he kind of struggled in the first half. And really in the Knicks game came alive in the second half, less so in the Portland game, but still to an extent. So perhaps Carlisle sees the adjustments he needs to make and can rely on the Vert because he's the only guy on the team who's healthy right now that can both get in the lane and pass and shoot to be a guy who can, you know, be the initiator and they can run through him more.
0: And I think you see kind of with these slow starts of the third quarter, and I think Levert really wants to kind of make his own image still. You know, he's been on the bench a lot, or he's been sidelined with injuries a lot, not necessarily on the bench. But, you know, he was in the shadow of, I mean, Harden, Durant, everybody. And he wants to still make a name for himself. So I think Carlisle's given him that chance to say, to put his kind of imprint in a quarter where the Pacers are struggled. So he's trying to turn to someone that can kind of jumpstart this offense and finish out... The second start, finishing out the second half of games.
1: The other thing with Lavert, and and this will be kind of his struggle for a long time, is, you know, he's kind of up and down efficiency wise. You know, he kind of, you know, he he scored well in the Sacramento game. It took him a ton of shots, and Davion Mitchell put him in jail a few times. Though to be fair to Karras, Davion Mitchell has put several people in jail. (laughs) Everybody, you know, his defense. It's been very impressive to see a rookie be that good of an on-ball defender already. The thing with Karras is he's, he's such a good scorer, like legit, obviously de- – I'm comparing him to Aaron Holiday is why I'm putting these prefaces on. Like he's he's a legit great starter in the NBA for a reason. My comparison to Aaron Holiday is that Aaron Holiday sometimes got too rim focused and not distributing focus. He couldn't balance it. And sometimes I think Karras is too focused on scoring and gets tunnel vision in a way that's kind of detrimental to his efficiency in the team's offense. That's kind of the thing that I've noticed from him that maybe he needs to take a step forward in after these five games is – He's forcing it a bit much, or putting up a shot that I—he's the only guy on the team that takes a two-pointer that I scratch my head at on this team. Very few guys take two-pointers <laughs> that make me scratch my head, and he's earned the benefit of the doubt. He has several games where he is far and away their best source of offense. So it's not like you tell him to stop taking them, but I, I wish personally that he could find that balance a little more because I think that would help the team and everybody else kind of succeed all together. But I still think he's been very good so far.
0: Yeah, and going back to your two-pointer comment, he takes the two-pointers that. Say T.J. Warren used to make all in 2019-20. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that every every shot that Warren threw up in 2019-20, it, it, the harder it looked, the more it went in. And I think he's, <laughs> I think LeVert's trying to replicate that right now, and he needs yeah, to find his own. And he needs, yeah, and he needs to, he needs to find another person on the wing to kick it back out to or anything after he drives.
1: And w- w- Warren is is hilarious because. Like some of his shots, it's like with Karras. At least I get how he got it off. Like he just faded away or like stuck his leg out to get space. Warren, he'll be like surrounded by three dudes and like the arms are all over him. And all of a sudden, the ball just pops out and goes in. I'm like, how did he even shoot the ball? I've never had another player who made me think, how did he even shoot the ball?
0: Yeah, it's wild. I don't, I don't understand it either. But I think you do see, yeah, you do see Levert kind of having these almost mini auditions to fill in especially in the third quarter. I
1: think a lot of guys had auditions early under Carlisle, too, which was which was interesting. I think they've kind of yeah, settled in there. Is. Speaking of guys who maybe are now going through their audition, Miles Turner. Oh, boy. What a week <laughs> he just had. What a week he just had. Nominated for Eastern Conference Player of the Week officially as the Pacers went 3-1. and His official stats from last week, from the Spurs game through the Kings game, 18 points per game, 10.5 rebounds, three block shot, 57% from the field. Hit half his threes, hit 82%. Of his free throws, and the Pacers kicked some major ass when he was in the game. Uh, it's been insane to see this turnaround from him because for a, for a couple, you know, I don't want to give any grand takeaways from the first five games of any season. That's stupid, but you know, after five six games, where he wasn't playing a ton in the second half of these games, and foul trouble was really plaguing him. And I was kind of like, man, I'm gonna have to really think about how Carlisle and Miles' relationship is after you know, pretty soon. I I want to talk about that. And basically ever since I said out loud, like I might have to do a segment on that soon. He's just been incredible. Like there's no reason for their relationship to be anything other than symbiotic. What have you seen that from Turner specifically that, that makes you go, you know, that made this turnaround start? Like, why do you feel like all of a sudden he's just so much more valuable than he was even two weeks ago?
0: Well, I really think and. I mean, this is playing on, on him being, you know, a top defender in the league. But now it's his rebound positioning this year, I think, is much better than last year. If you would, if you would watch him last year before the injuries, before, before his um, yep. he stopped uh, playing at the end of the season, he would, I mean, absolutely sell out for a block. He would jump, he would swat, he'd get way up in the air, and then he'd be out of position for a rebound. Now it kind of looks like he's taken a bit off of it, I would say. He's taken a bit, uh, kind of a back step. He's waiting for these, these drivers and guards to make their second or third move to the basket so that he can either block when they try a reverse layup or block something. That way he he only has you know 30 to 60 degrees to turn around and he's right at the net in case they miss, in case he doesn't block it but just alters it. And I think that's the initial step is – He's staying in the paint. He's staying more stabilized and not going 110% for a block. He's going 100%. <laughs> and I think it's working out to his advantage. I mean, you see these increase in rebounding numbers now because he's staying in the paint and he's staying locked in.
1: Hey, guys, we're going to take one short break here to talk to you about two great groups of people. First up, the good folks over at Truebill, because do you know why free trials renew without your consent? It's a business scam. Out to get you. Don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions. You don't need one or simply forgot about On average, people save up to $720 per year with Truebill because companies just make subscriptions hard to cancel. Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there to help you Need them. Cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. Truebill has over 2 million users and helped them save over a 100 million, like Matthew B., who says, In a matter of seconds, I saved $660 for the year on my TV bill, saved $120 on my Street SXM bill, and saved 840 a year on my car insurance. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockdownNBA. Get right now, Truebill.com slash LockdownNBA. It could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com lockdown NBA. Let's also talk about Prize Picks. Prize Picks has the best NBA DFS prop game on the market. They offer more NBA props than any other DFS prop operator and offers the Superstar players as well as bench players only recording a handful of minutes each game. They offer any prop you can think of, yardage, touchdowns, interceptions, thrown, you name it, they got it. And any users that listen to the show, if you get on there right now. To make a deposit and use the promo code NBA when you sign up, you'll get a 100% deposit match up to $100. Pick two to five players and an over-under on their projections. You could win 10 times, up to 10 times on any entry. It's just you versus the projected numbers. Prize picks allows multi-sport entries, too, so you could take LeBron, James over, and the under on Mahomes in the same entry. Use their award-winning app today. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. And it's safe and offers fast withdrawals. Don't hesitate. Check out prizepicks.com today. Use the promo code NBA in the app store today. Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love it, and I know you will too. He had one block on Halliburton on Sunday where I think he waited on him specifically for like four seconds. Like he just Mm -hmm. was turning and looking at him like, all right, come on, I'm ready. And then he did it, and he blocked it. I was like, what were you thinking? You can see him facing you. It was very hilarious to watch because the camera angle, too, is behind Halliburton. So for mm-hmm. viewers, it looked so obvious. And I'm sure Halliburton could see other stuff on the carpet. It's like, why did he <laughs> take that job? It was pretty funny. I agree with that. I think that he kind of took – like it looked like at first last year he was taking a step forward in that area where he wasn't blocking it to the point that he was just useless after the block. And then that kind of went away. And he got more aggressive and, and got the block title eventually. But this year he's been better at that. The other thing for him is – I've always kind of maintained this stance that he's a good box-out guy but not a good rebounder, which those are very separate skills in that sometimes he will box his guy out, and then once the ball actually comes off the rim, he gets beat, or he doesn't actually go for it. He kind of hopes someone else gets it, and that makes him look out of position or weak at times, whereas this year a lot more often, especially against Sacramento uh, against, I think, New York a few times as well. Yeah, he had 13 rebounds in that game. He sees the ball, and he just gets it. Like He goes and gets it, and to to, to translate that to offense – I think you were on the post game for um, that game as well, the Knicks game where he had that dunk in the fourth quarter and like probably three minutes before that he got the same pass from Domas under the basket and he went up soft and he missed. And then the, he got it later and he dunked it. And I think he's just kind of realizing that when he's around the basket on both ends, if he just plays with a little more force, it adds so much to his aggression because he's learned how to mix in aggression. He's learned how to be more confident. He just still sometimes is not quite the forceful guy he needs to be and in this last week, a little over a week, probably 10 days now, he's really applied that force to his areas where he's already good. And it's it's making him just look dominant and when the pacers, when he's in, like they always are winning his minutes this year. And it's really standing out.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think you said it best, he's a seven-footer, he's 250 pounds. Like he he's kind of learning now to use that body. He's not afraid to get dirty now against these big forwards or big centers that Indiana has sort of had troubles with. Um, he's setting himself up really nicely and he's kind of rounding out his full defensive game to the point where maybe he doesn't feel like he should be snubbed anymore because I know a lot of fans say, oh, he, he only got blocks compared to Rudy Gobert compared to all the other defensive top defenders. Now he's actually has, you know, rebounds to his name and positioning. Yeah. And not to, you know, I
1: don't want to reflect too much on how Bjorkren puts stress on everybody with his defensive scheme, but now that it's more simple for everybody, I think he's got a little more energy uh, to be playing in the correct role, too, and he's not doing so much obscure stuff. And he bailed out a lot of mistakes last year. There's less of that, right? So the opportunities he does have are are more natural, I think, too. So that's also helping a little bit. And yeah, on offense, if he keeps shooting well, too, like, (laughs) I mean, obviously, that's such a... Duh thing, but if he keep what is he at for the season now? Forty one percent keeps yeah. hitting forty one percent of over five threes a game. I think we're going to be talking about Miles Turner quite often this season. I mean that I hate to be that reductive sometimes, but when he's hitting threes like this too, it just the dynamics of his game are just so
0: crazy because it's mm-hmm. impossible. Like now that he can fake and put it on the floor, it's so hard to guard him. Yeah, and it, it stretches out defenders for everybody. If you look, also he doesn't need to be—he doesn't need to be a facilitator, but he also has you know two plus assists in three straight games. Yeah, he's—he has two plus assists in four of the last five. I think he had four, um, four games ago. I don't remember who they played. I should have wrote it down. But, <laughs> but I think he had four at one point. And he's he's finding that person if he's not open at the three point line or he's finding that person if he's the one who, you know, drives into the paint now, which is what he also added. So it's you know, it's not it's not facilitator numbers by any means, but it's it's another facet, you know, two, three, four times a game that other defenders and opponents have to watch out for now. It's just another thing he added. He's at his second highest assist
1: rate of his career, only behind the, his last season as the only starting center on his team when he was next to Thad in 2018-19. Mm-hmm. So he had more opportunities that year, and Vic got hurt that year. It's just it's just different. Stats don't count <laughs> that season. Um, so, yeah, I, I think his passing is more refined. That was, I, I tweeted about this play specifically because it was just like, what? Where he drive and kicked and then kicked it out to the corner so T.J. McConnell, who then scored, and you're like, wait, <laughs> yeah, <it> was- <laughs> wait that, those names are wrong. That doesn't make sense. That play doesn't make sense. But it, it, you know, it's kind of how the Pacers are, with the, where their mm-hmm. roles on on every possession are interchangeable. And Carlisle trusts guys to make plays, and Turner has certainly been a, a benefactor of all that.
0: Yeah, and I think you're seeing a more well-rounded player. I mean, I think against Sacramento, it was his 400th career game. Yes, and- it was. Some people some people still are like, well, we really don't know. But at 400 games, you should probably see at least something. And I think we're seeing something in the positive direction. And hopefully it continues. I can't believe I skipped this news. But the Pacers have –
1: so much has happened. Injuries, sicknesses, actually winning games, guys returning, the team looking good, all these guys. Like Rick Carlisle provided a pretty substantial update about TJ Warren last week, and I was like, yeah, I'll talk about it later. Like, that's crazy. He's like, like, they haven't had him for forever. We even got a little peek under the curtain from Shams Trania of The Athletic today uh, that the Pacers are hopeful for a return late this season. Carlisle's return jives with that, he said. Weeks, not months. Multiple months from now would be later in January. So, it seems like Carlisle's timeline is right on cue with what is to be believed from the rest of the organization. So, TJ Warren back in. Let's, I can't really... I'm just going to pick Christmas. How many days are there till Christmas from now? I should have this on my computer somewhere. I have Christmas lights up behind me, right? So I should be jazzed <laughs> up by this stuff. Looks like four and a half-ish. Or no, that's way off. Holy cow, Tony. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven four, five, six. Seven weeks until Christmas. So we're about seven-ish weeks from Warren's return. Timelines don't matter. I'm just putting stuff together. TJ Warren is awesome. Bubble TJ was the last time we saw him. He was on unbelievable the maybe the best Pacers run for a player maybe the best Pacers five game stretch ever like ever for any player which is insane he was so good and his defense was really missed Kevin Pritchard has talked about that over and over and over again when talking about how injuries have harmed this team so to you Brendan now that you've we've seen 11 games of the Carlisle era Pacers and and four out of five stars we've seen everybody play except for him where do you feel like he'll help this team the most
0: well first off you can't you can't not talk about TJ Warren like we touched on, you know, a little bit with Levert, his mid-range game. And his ability to just make a shot out of nothing is just another facet the Pacers need. Um, in 2019-20, when he played the full year, he was, you know, 48% from 10 to 16 feet away. He was 44% from 16 feet to the three-point line. And that's something you don't see utilized by almost any other team anymore, these these mid-range jumpers, and that just adds yet another thing opposing defenses have to cover. Um you did touch on it a little bit. Um, when he comes back, I mean it adds another great defender on the along the perimeter in those in in size. You know, the thing with with Brogdon and LeVert is this, you know, giant size on the backcourt that kind or the uh, yeah, the backcourt that kind of <laughs> that kind of helps them out against these smaller guards. So when you bring Warren back, you bring a 6'8", 220-pound small forward, if you want to call him a small forward. Um, And then you have, you know, another defender on the wing that can defend these players that the Pacers had problems with, like against Portland, against, you know, Covington or Norman Powell. But Covington was 6'7", and draining threes. So when Warren's back, that's not going to happen if you have another – you know, big wing like that.
1: One more break, guys, so I can tell you about one more awesome group of people, and that's the great folks over at Rock Auto because of the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models. There's 2023s out on the market now. What the heck? It's impossible for your local chain auto parts store. To stock all the parts you need, you got to get in there, find the part in the store, which is a huge pain. It's always in the wrong section. Go through the questioning at the counter. Then they order it. You got to go back and get it. Save time and money. Use rockauto.com instead of going through that process. Why spend 30, 50, even 100% more for the same parts for your car when you can get it at rockauto.com for cheaper and quicker. They're a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Their prices are always low for every customer, and they have everything you could ever need for your car or truck. Go explore their easy use website today to find the easy solution to your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in they had you hear about us, box So they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. Yeah, I've asked – defense is where I I always have come back to with him, even though his offense is like, oh, my God, how did he do that so often? (laughs) Like I've been asking – I asked Nick Nurse about this, um, Carlisle, a bunch of Pacers players, Luke Walton. Like these big wings that you just talked about, like they have been killing this Pacers team for like two years now, basically since his injury. And Torrey Craig's helping a little, but he doesn't play like all the time. And so – you get guys like Covington going off, and O'J and OB destroying his season average, and Harrison Barnes having an off night and still hitting 22 points. Like that kind of stuff, just they just don't have answers for these guys a lot, so they just get a couple easy buckets, like like laughably easy buckets every game. Mm-hmm. And I get that Torrey Craig is helping, but more answers to that are always helpful because that's kind of. This is what I asked Nick Nurse about specifically. Is like that's kind of how teams are trending, how they want to. To gain their advantages. It's like these wings who can handle the ball and play really good defense, like that's basically everything in the way the NBA is played these days. So that there's going to become more and more popular and more and more valuable. So having ways to counter that is extremely important. That's why I think his defense is something I'm going to be really interested in when he does return and how that impacts the team. And the, the offense is an added bonus to me, which is absolutely wild to think about. Like dude who can hit from absolutely everywhere at any time, like 44% from... 3 to 16 feet isn't, like, awesome. That's his whole career statistics, including Phoenix. Mm. So, maybe not the best way to evaluate him, but even just looking at his whole career from that range, like, that's fine as an end-of-possession shot. Like, 0.9 points per possession is, like, it's not good, but if the shot clock's at less than 5, that's fine. You know, you live with that. And that's really valuable. He can hit threes now. He's been burying them since that last season he had at Phoenix. And at the rim, he's been insane his whole career. 71% from 0 to 3 feet. So, I don't even know what number option he'll be. You know, people always talk about it. see the third option, fourth option, whatever. But just having another release valve, another guy who can hit shots, add it on to the defensive value he'll bring, it's just like it's like the perfect missing piece for what the Pacers have had struggles with for the last two years.
0: Exactly. And it's going to be one of those, finally, for the Pacers, a good problem to have, right? <laughs> you know, yeah you can only play five people and you're going to have all these wings and all these guards that are more than capable. I mean, Chris Duarte has shown he's capable, but another thing Warren will bring is that sort of minutes distribution. I mean, you want to bring in, I mean, Duarte, Duarte's been fantastic. There's no, there's no um, argument against that, but what he has been playing is minutes. He's never seen in college. You know, he's already played 45 minutes one time against the Wizards. He played 41 minutes um, a couple of games later. Early in the season, that's fine. But, again, we have to realize that this is the first time they have two days off. When you play in college, they play two times a week versus, you know, three, four, maybe even five games a week if if the schedule lines up like that. But it, it just adds another... Piece to where later in the season, you know, games 1 through 25 might be fine, but 30 through 50, you start getting a little tired. 50 through 82, you get even more tired. So adding Warren is going to have another wing to sub in to help people stay fresh to get his minutes down. I mean, we've already seen Duarte's minutes go down when Levert's back, but I think that's beneficial in a way, especially towards the end of the season. We won't get that minutes fatigue.
1: And even the guy who turns thirty three on this team, Justin Holiday, snipping yeah. thirty minutes because their wing rotation. Yeah, I, I, mm-hmm. absolutely a huge factor there as well. So, numerous benefits. Super excited to watch him. And the follow up question that everybody wants to ask, including me, with Warren is: Look, you brought up Duarte. Like it's 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 the elephant in the room with Warren is who starts now? Because I understand the merit of both ways. If it, If I didn't, like, before the season, I'm kind of team rookies are bad, like always. And Duarte has not been bad. So, like, that changes my brain. But before the season, I was like, yeah, you start Warren, even if Duarte is kind of good because you're trying to win this year. But Duarte is, like, a winning player now, and he's only 24. So, you actually do have to consider how you want to handle this. So, does Warren start you? You you could make a lot of arguments, right? Do you want to put a big with the second unit? I don't know how that would go, but you'd have, you know, (laughs) Brogdon, Brogdon, LeVert, Warren, Duarte, not in that order, but whatever, and a big. Or you could go with Levert is your sixth man now, and then you have Duarte Warren as your 2-3. You have a lot of options. You could just stick him in for Duarte. There are so many ways to do this, but the, the bigger question is, should he start at all? What do you think? What are your thoughts on that?
0: It has to be somewhat... Like the Levert situation, where wherever Carlisle puts him in for just the first half for the first game, see how he does. Maybe he has one of these, you know. I call him again a mini audition quarter, where if they're not doing well, you know, Carlisle just says, "Hey Warren, you know, go shoot twelve times this period, see what <laughs> happens." You know, it has to be. Yeah. It has to be slowly introduced. Um, I agree. Not to get into too much speculation. That's just my personal opinion, but it has to be slowly introduced kind of like Warren and it has, or kind of like Levert and it has to be in a way where the chemistry that Duarte has built with the people that are currently playing isn't necessarily messed up. And again, that's probably eventually a good problem to have when you try to add another really solid player to the lineup. But, should he start right away? In my opinion, probably not. Maybe, maybe do the first half thing like warrant or like LaVert, like I said, or something like that. Something in that vein I would I would prefer to see first.
1: I think immediately I would I would probably bring him off the bench too for a couple of reasons. One, like you said with the LeVert stuff, ease him back. You've no he hasn't played in a year. Mm-hmm. Like we're we're almost at the point where he hasn't played in a year. And even last camp, he was recovering from plantar fasciitis from the bubble right so i don't even know if he was 100 then so uh, i mean i might be like 10 15 minutes for like a couple games right like you're gonna need time with that and that is valuable not only in the easing him back in but then you're feeling out how he fits with the system you've built does he fit with the starters at all like you can have him be your sixth man for that stretch who comes in for whoever you think would be the guy who moves to the bench and if that lineups are like clicking great now you know that you can start him and if not I'm sure he'd be receptive after such a long time off to being the guy who has the ball out with the second unit too. that's again, I guess I don't know what he's thinking of course, but you know, just he's watching this team every day from the sidelines on the bench of games. He, he has to feel where he can fit in and help. So, uh, you know, as, as time goes on, I think we'll kind of get that feel more. So I think right away, especially cause he hasn't played in so long, I would not start him. But with the, with the goal of like, I think ideally when he's fully reintegrated or whatever, I would think he would be one of the five best guys. And starting versus closing is a different discussion. So I, I think the idea would be I would try to grow him to the point where he would be a starter, but spending that whole time of growth feeling out what actually makes the most sense for the team. Yeah, and
0: I, I do not envy the athletic trainers that have to determine <laughs> no, when, me either. D- determine when a stress fracture is good to go. For people that don't know, a stress fracture is probably one of the hardest to judge. Um, from all the athletic trainers that I've I've grown up and, and been around, um, in kind of the sports industry, everyone says stress fractures are kind of just up in the air because it's repeated motion that Brett right, that makes these small chips in your bone in your feet, such as well jumping. Well, I guess that's a big part of basketball. <laughs> so you know, <laughs> you know, I don't envy any athletic trainer that that gives him the okay only for three games later we see him kind of playing no basketball again. So if it's a slow process, I think that's a good thing moving forward for the future. If it's, you know, small minutes here, if it's finding out chemistry there, it's going to take some time.
1: He's he going to play 12 minutes again. in his first game and then an 11-year-old on the internet's going to tell me that he's soft and I'm just going to throw
0: my <laughs> phone out the window.
1: <laughs> Twitter, Twitter is the most insufferable place. <laughs> <He's> so- <laughs>
0: Twitter's fantastic, yes, <laughs> <laughs> for multiple reasons. Whether it, that fantastic it. is sarcastic or not, it's fantastic. <laughs> it is exactly what you make
1: it to be. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't think we'll get another Warren update for several weeks till his next scan. Um, but it seems like everything's been trending well basically ever since the announcement um, this summer that you know it would still be a little bit of time and that he's progressing. And Carlisle, Carlisle is a very positive guy with injuries, which is very funny because he never provides timelines. But was like, we got good news today. And that's all he says. So we'll see in a couple of weeks how that how that is. But um, Carlisle will be very fun and interesting every step of the way. So I have one more topic I want to get to. And it's not a good one. Unlike the first couple of things we've talked about today. This is unique to the Pacers this season. Very unique to the Pacers this season. They're currently 24th in the league. 16.5 turnovers per game. Oof. You never want to be bottom. Near the bottom in that category. And sometimes, you know, I like to, especially with this team that's had the same roster but different coaches over the last couple seasons, where you can look back at very recent seasons and get kind of an idea of what this exact team ranked in these categories. Last year, they were 13th, 13.5 per game, that's three less. The last season under McMillan, they were fifth in the league, only 13.2 per game, right? So trending in a bad direction here. And it's been a problem for them. It has absolutely killed them. They had a ton against the Kings and were able to survive it. They Had a ton of killer ones against Portland that they weren't able to survive. It's clearly to me been their biggest kryptonite this season. As they've even got, even as they've gotten better, they've looked better than the other team. in a lot of these games where turnovers are the the reason they lose to me. And Carlisle said as much in his postgame presser. Like, like he always comes up and he looks at the stat sheet and he does an opening statement to. Us and he always after a loss says we turned it over too much or we didn't take care of the ball or something to that effect. So what do you think? with the same roster that was in the top half of the league and not turning it over in past seasons what have you kind of felt like has pushed them towards the bottom of the league in this very important category
0: it's it's really hard to key in on you can tell you can say it's a different offense it's the fact that they want to kind of pass more into the paint and then come back out and that's risking you know your big men who maybe not may not have sort of the best hands, fumbling it in the paint. I mean, there's multiple defenders in the paint, so there's more chances for turnovers. But I really think, honestly, it's it's the consecutive turnovers that are yeah. really hurting them. I mean, against the Kings, they had three consecutive turnovers to start the fourth. Against the Heat, they had sh- three straight in the third. And, I mean, if you even go back a little farther against, or against the Rappers, they had a late string of turnovers in the second quarter that just – completely derails their momentum. And players have said it in press conferences. They don't it's not necessarily the one turnover or the bad pass that you know everyone's gonna make. I mean even Tom Brady throws incomplete passes. So like you you don't you don't expect zero turnovers a game. You don't expect, you know, four even you you expect a, a a certain number and they're way over that. And I think it's because they get this mentality in their head that okay, one turnover. Oh, another one. Oh, another one. And now now all of their men, momentum's blown. And it's kind of this... The, I think it's more of a mental game right now. The fact that, 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 that the string of turnovers are happening, and that's where you see the inflated numbers, is because they're happening back to back to back. I agree with the <laughs> mental game
1: aspect for a couple reasons. One is that, like, in general, I, like, aggressive is not the perfect word here, but they make some... Tough passes to try to do that inside-out paint touch game. Sometimes we're like, there's a duck in from the big, and they try to whip it in real quick, and it's that's a hard pass. Like some guys are good at it on this team. Wanna actually, that's one of his uh, better passes, despite him having some issues with turnovers this season. He's gotten good at the whip it into the big pass, um, but a lot of that that leads to a lot of them. But in the situations where they're like really looking for that, I think they get one, like you said, and they're like, we got to fix it. We just messed up. Let's get it right this time. And then they go over that hard thing again, or like the other team that just stole it from a similar actions. Like we we know how to stop this. We just did it. Right. So I agree with the snowball effect and it's part of the reason they've had a lot of these runs where you're like, Oh wow. They were just up 15. Like how are they only up four all of a sudden, you know, that's a big part of it. And the other thing for me is going back to the aggression again, maybe this time I think it is the right word. They throw some passes that are just crazy. Not even the ones that are like trying to do what they're trying to do. It's like, The 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 way Carlisle likes to play transition, and this was a big talk in camp, was like, throw it ahead. Anyone can do it, anyone can handle it, anyone can push it. And then they're trying some stuff that I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like that, that is not a pass you should be doing. Or like Wanamaker had one against the Kings where he went behind the back to a roll man who was ahead of him at the start of the fourth quarter. Like it was like I get why that would be good if it was perfect, but that even if it's perfect, that's a hard like what do you you know? They they just I think they, they don't, you know. I don't know if you've seen the office, but uh, KISS is, is Dwight's acronym. Keep it simple, stupid, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think they need to KISS with some of their passes <laughs> where they need to, to, to get out of this aggressive, let's throw a pass to set someone up mo- moment to just like, what do we do really well? Let's settle into that and not fire it right at a defender.
0: Yeah. And I, I at this point, 11 games, the press conference are a little blending together, but I think it was <laughs> yes. Jeremy Lamb who said right in the press conference, sometimes we go for the home run ball instead of finding the short, easy pass. And right. I think that's what they're getting into is this mentality where, oh no, we're down a certain number of points. We need a home run ball. We need this right now. Instead of saying, hey, there's so many minutes left on the clock. Let's just find somebody open and then maybe we'll find a good one the next time. You know, And, and that's, that, that's that thing that Carlisle is trying to teach them, that every possession matters. And it, it it's the same when they're down. You know, it, you can only score two, three, and maybe four points of possession. And you're not going to win a game on one possession, so all of them matter. And so going for the home run ball every time is starting to cause these, you know, streaks and runs of turnovers.
1: This is something that only you and I will care about, but like... Carlisle is so consistent with his messaging in a way that other coaches aren't that I love it. Like like in the in the Portland game, they just blew a nine point (laughs) five minutes and they lose by four. And everyone on the internet, people who cover the team, even me, I'm like, oh, they just blew it. And Carlisle comes up to the stand, he's like, Yeah, I don't care about the end. We lost the game in the first five minutes because our possessions (laughs) are bad. Then I'm like, How do you how are you feeling like that right now? Like you guys had this in the bag. He's like, Yeah, we didn't start down seventeen to 40. we would have won. And he's right. Like, if you just flip the timing of the game. You know, mm-hmm. it's it, the same thing would happen, and he would have said, "Oh, the ending was terrible." He's so consistent with that messaging of like valuing every possession and taking care of the ball. And at that point, when you're like, "You guys just blew it," how can you say that? You're like, "Wow, he you know, he really feels <laughs> out the game the same way every time." I like to open up the end of these podcasts to the floor to guests. So, Brandon, I put this on our itinerary. Yes. I, I wondered if you're coming with something. What do you want to talk about about this year's Pacers?
0: Well, to quote a now infamous quarterback in the NFL. Oh boy. Relax is what I want people to say. <laughs> yeah. I want people to just relax. You're not going to you're not going to know what this Pacers team is going to be, what their official, you know, moniker is going to be for at least 20 something games. I would even give a new coaching staff 30 35 games to really see, and I, I, at this point, I trust Carlisle. I mean, he's been around the league for years, won a championship with the Dallas Mavericks. He knows what he's doing. He knows that this was a feeling out process. These first games in the season, he knows the schedule was hard. And so these fans or anybody (laughs) that are, that are saying, Oh, this Pacers team's ruined this Pacers team, this and that, they still have, you know, 70 something games left and everyone is starting to hit the panic button when it's way too early to hit the panic button. And that was, that's probably the main topic is I just wish people wouldn't relax. They, they basically have the same number of games they played last season left this year
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and two years yeah. ago and they played 73. Like they still have yeah. that much left this year. I agree with that for two reasons. One. Yes. I think for every team, even if you're the Sixers who are eight and two, even they're probably like, You know, everybody, come come on. Okay. So first 10 games, you know, they're obviously, they have an MVP candidate. You know, they feel a little differently, but even they got to be like, okay, we've got to keep this going. We don't know if this is real, especially because they have a lot of other stuff going on, but still just the the point holds for the opposite level of teams too, where you got to get a while in before you really know what you are and what you need to do going forward. The other thing for me is, and look, this is my own predictions, right? I can't tell you what anyone else's expectations were. But I went through the schedule before the season and picked every single game, what I thought would happen. You know, if they had a back-to-back, if they're on a road trip, if they struggle against specific opponents, blah, blah, You know, I know this team pretty well. I only had them at five wins right now. They have four. Like, yeah. it's not like they're even playing that bad. They have a really hard schedule. They've played the most games in the league. They've had the back-to-backs. Their upcoming back-to-back is impossible, by the way. The two out of two teams on back-to-back nights. Are you kidding? Right? So. It's, it, it's not even that, like, I have them losing their next four with my preseason predictions. Maybe they win a couple of those, and then all of a sudden they've caught up to what I thought they would be at. So, I think that for fans that are already panicking, first of all, why? It's only been 11 games. But second of all, I think a big reason for it is just because they've been close games. But these results, like, aren't stunning. You know, they've had many starters out. Their schedule's been really hard. They've played the most games. I agree with you 100% for several reasons. Just, no one is good at chilling out when you're 4-7, and seven, but... <laughs> Chill. Everybody chill.
0: (laughs) Yeah, everyone needs to relax. Everyone knew that it would be, you know, everyone knew that it would be, you know, a a new regime is always has its ups and downs, and it just needs to play out, and you're right. I mean, these losses, except for one game in Toronto, where they always struggle in Toronto for whatever reason, even though it's not their farthest road trip by far, (laughs) they always struggle up north, but all these other ones i mean they were the first team since 1950s 1955 56 to lose both opening games by one point exactly one. yep i think i think the last team was the fort wayne pistons before they even you know moved <laughs> it's this statement it's just <laughs> yeah. this state. but uh, yeah it, it's exactly what you said it's it, it's not i don't see other than the turnovers i don't see bad basketball i don't see anything that is cause for alarm. It's working out the kinks. Unfortunately, it's like any it's like any job. It's like you know writing writing a movie or writing a play. You're gonna have failures. You're gonna have everything until something's perfect. You know, there's multiple drafts in any writing that you and I do or anything. Like it's gonna happen. I, I'm cautiously optimistic. I think. Uh, take it with a grain of salt, people out there. But if they do split these high-altitude games, I think that's a good sign I agree. for the third or eighth of the season, however you want to split it up. If they split these, pick one, doesn't matter. If they get one of two, I think that's a really good sign.
1: So they were tied with the Nets with 5.15 to go, and they were down five against the Bucks with under six minutes to go. And I pick out those two games specifically because that means... Outside of in Toronto, the game you mentioned, clearly their worst performance of the season. They've been within five in every loss they've had this season with like five minutes to go. It's like they're they're so mm. close to being so much better. <laughs> and you're right, the turnovers are the key indicator. So yes, I 100% agree they, they are better than four and seven suggests. And it's only 11 games. Relax, everybody. That's a great ending topic. I have trouble telling people how to feel, but... Sometimes I think people are being stupid. <laughs> the early season now is one of those times. Do you have another topic, or is that is that what your
0: your? That was that was my big one. I don't. I, yeah, I don't have much, especially at eleven game eleven. Game eleven, season. not
1: yeah. yet. Yeah, yeah, we will re-diagnose <laughs> the Pacers at Thanksgiving time. I think will be a nice. That's about twenty game. I think that's exactly twenty games in actually is Thanksgiving time. So that's a good time to really reflect. Reflect, excuse me, because a lot of the times after twenty games. The standings are very similar to how they finished. Now, ironically, one team that really bucked that trend last year, Rick Carlisle's Dallas Mavericks. So we will, and the Pacers, ironically. So we'll see <laughs> what happens this season. But looking forward to seeing how things shake out going forward. I agree that splitting this road trip would be awesome. Brendan, it's on the screen for our YouTube listeners, but for audio people, where do people follow you and all your stuff and your work with the Pacers?
0: Yes, you can follow me at b underscore Rourke Sports. On Twitter, that's my main platform. I will, I do warn people that it is my personal Twitter account, so you will see a lot of Pacers stuff, a lot of me yelling at the college football playoff, as that's <laughs> my also, uh, my heart. Uh, you'll find me yelling a lot about UCF football as well. Um, so I do warn people if you want all Pacers news, follow the great, wonderful Tony East, anything like that. Um, you can find all my work on pacers.com. If you want to read any of game rewinds, I do it's under, you can go to the schedule and click more um, under the wins and losses, or you can, I think it's the news tab. News and media.com. There's a news and media tab. It'll say game rewind archive. All of my stuff is there. And also shout out to wheat Hotchkiss uh, senior manager of pacers web and marketing he does some of the games as well so great writer as well so you'll find all there or my twitter account Weed's a
1: machine man he Mm -hmm. he runs the dot-com side beautifully while managing a young child it's very impressive
0: (laughs) it it is incredible
1: yeah it is really incredible I agree, Brendan, thanks so much for the time. You can follow me at T East MBA and the show at Locked On Pacers tomorrow. I believe Ryan Blackburn will be coming on to preview Pacers Nuggets at Wednesday, which should be super fun. Brendan again, thank you for the time. And everybody, nice we will you. see you tomorrow.